Well, good morning. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19, and we'll get there here in just a second. Uh, but this is our last week on our sermon series called Who's Your One? And so we started this a couple of weeks ago, and I challenged you that if you would really buy into Scripture and really understand the mission of God, everything around you would change, even the music playing. And so uh, it's one of those interesting understandings that if we would genuinely buy into the mission that God has called us to be a part of, listen, it would change everything that's around us. Some of you have taken to that and really began to put action to it. I love hearing the stories about you sharing with your one and beginning to share those gospel conversations. And so I'm encouraged by what God's beginning to do. But listen, we're just getting started. Amen. And so this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about the action plan. Uh, but before we do, let me ask you this. Have you ever gone out on a limb? Now, this is kind of a phrase that we use, and sometimes we kind of use it in, in great context, uh, but maybe you've gone out on a limb for a business adventure. Maybe you've gone out on a limb on a relationship. Maybe you've gone out on a limb uh, for whatever the purpose is, but let me give you the definition of that. The definition, so that we understand as we move forward, is this. They do something that they strongly believe in, even though it's risky or extreme. It is likely to fail or be criticized by other people. Now, I want you to think, though, because have you gone out on a limb? Now, there's stories that I think of when I was a kid. I used to climb trees all the time. Now, listen, I got to be honest. I'm not really built to climb things. I'm more of an anchor on the ground type of guy. Um, and so it, it's fun to think that in the early days, I used to climb a lot of trees. And, and listen, I don't know that a lot of kids climb trees Today, I think it's kind of a, a past time period, uh, but it, it's interesting that I've never officially fallen out of a tree. I have fallen out of a deer stand, so that was in a tree. So still to this day, haven't fallen out. And I remember a couple of years ago, I was putting up a new deer stand, and my brother-in-law was helping me, and uh, I was getting it up. And and as as it was up there, uh, I didn't have it strapped properly, and uh, the deer stand began to fall on me, and so I fell back. My brother-in-law braced my fall, which broke my tailbone, and then the deer stand hit my head, and now there's a dent in my deer stand. So uh, it, it's. Interesting how those things go, but uh, it, it's funny because there have been times when I've been with a friend of mine and climbed into a deer stand, and the, the seat is so narrow, and I'm so high up because I'm bow hunting or something like that, that I'm going, okay, Jeff, we can't fall asleep this morning because you'll die, right? So it, it's interesting to kind of think that some of those things go with this. Uh, maybe there's a reason why people don't climb trees anymore. Uh, in most schools, this is kind of a banned activity. Uh, when I was in, in my childhood at West Elementary in Taylorville, Illinois, the reality is that everybody climbed trees uh, on that playground. And so every tree had limbs that were broken and limbs that were kind of climbed up in. And so the interesting thing is that maybe insurance risks have kind of stopped this. Uh, and here's kind of a fun fact. I, I had some of the craziest friends that I know. And when we were growing up, I never saw one of them fall out of a tree. But I ask you, now, I've been told legitimately to leave my house and go climb a tree. Anybody been told that? Uh, I've been told that many times. And I got up in the tree and I was like, now what? Stayed there for hours, right? Uh, it, it's interesting. But here's a fact. Let me ask this question. How many people in here have climbed a tree? 
Okay, good. A few of you guys. Now, listen, I am in no way promoting that you leave church and climb a tree, okay? Because when you get to the ER this afternoon and say, Pastor Jeff told us to go climb a tree today, I don't want that on our conscience this morning. But I want to ask you this morning, will you go out on a limb with me? Will you go out on a limb and just see maybe God has something more for you? I'm going to ask you, as we talk about this story in Zac- with Zacchaeus, I'm going to ask you to, by the end of this message, to jump out on the limb with me and see what God can do. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we read this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 19 in verses 1 through 10. And so the good part is, and I'm very encouraged because I heard your voices this morning singing as much as the worship team this morning. And so I know that you have loud, beautiful voices. And so we're going to read this together. I know it's a little bit of a lengthy passage of Scripture, but I want you to understand there is power in a church that reads Scripture together. This is a bold proclamation of what this passage of Scripture is, okay? So read this with me in verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead And climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for a passage of Scripture That is so clear. Lord, the action plan that you put in this passage of Scripture is something that can be passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. And if we will follow these principles, we will see people come to know Christ. Father, please be with us this morning. Help this not to be a story that we remember from our childhood, but to be a life lesson that that truly impacts everything that we do moving forward. Father, I love you and I praise you and I thank you for this passage of Scripture. In Christ's precious and only name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. To give context to the setting, uh, Jesus was about the two-thirds part of where his ministry had continued. And so a lot of things up to this point, he was walking into Jericho and he was teaching and he was healing and he was doing some pretty incredible things. By this point, Jesus had kind of people that were kind of drawn to him, seeking out his teaching, seeking out who he was. But he also had a crowd that was against him, saying he wasn't doing it the way that he should or he wasn't doing it the way that they wanted him to. And he was saying things that was really ruffling the feathers of the religious leadership of that time. And so we have this setting where he walks into this city, into Jericho. 
Now understand, the person that was looking for him was a guy named Zacchaeus. This was a tax collector known for being wealthy, known for taking advantage of those who lived amongst them. Now imagine with me because we're full on in tax season and how many of you are excited to pay your taxes? Okay, good. Three of you. Uh, It's find those people afterwards, get tax advice from them, okay? Uh, So when you think about this, None of us enjoy seeing that label, that amount of money that we've worked for that goes towards taxes. The interesting thing is that we don't necessarily see an individual right in front of us that's a tax collector. But in this case, he was living amongst them and would continually see what they gave. Can you imagine this? Hey, I saw that you made money on those chickens. You need to pay your taxes. Hey, I saw that you did this, and I saw that you traded this. You need to pay taxes on that. Can you imagine how well-loved Zacchaeus was? So he was short in stature. If you've heard the song, Zacchaeus was a... And we... Okay, we're not going (laughs) to... I'm not going to sing to you, and that song will be stuck in your head and my head throughout the whole rest of the day. And so just enjoy But the reality is that every one of us know who Zacchaeus was. We know that he was a wee man. We know that he was short. The reality is this. He was probably the least likely to be interested in Jesus. Now, here's why. Because he didn't really need money. He had money. He wasn't in the position where he genuinely needed Christ. He was in a position where he was looking at everybody else around them and kind of curious and intrigued by who Jesus was. It's interesting, up to this point, the people that are coming to know Christ are people that needed to be healed, are people that are in a position that they need Jesus to rescue them, need Jesus to save them. I would tell you that everybody in this community, everybody in this world genuinely needs Jesus, but not all of them know it think sometimes we kind of have this misconception that people that come to know Christ are broken and desolate and all these things and that's that is something that takes place but there's also people just like Zacchaeus that need to hear about the gospel so Zacchaeus took probably a little bit of a different approach than most of us would take he really wanted to see Jesus he was interested in knowing who this Jesus was and what his teaching was To be honest, sometimes I wonder and say, why was Zacchaeus so intrigued by who Jesus was? He thought, maybe if I could just get close enough, if I could just get into this sycamore tree, if I could climb into this place, maybe I could see him over the crowd. Have you ever been in a crowded area where, and listen, I'm only five foot ten, where everybody around you seems to be giants? And you're looking around and you're going, man, I can't see. And every time you get comfortable, they lean the other way. And so Zacchaeus was in this moment where he wasn't just comfortable being in his presence. He wanted eyes on Jesus. We understand that he went out on a limb to see who this Jesus was. We understand that he found a sycamore tree, and so when I've been over in Israel, they actually have a place where they think that this might have been the sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed. 
is crazy to me because if you look up what a sycamore tree kind of looks like, you see that the branches are low enough that you can almost walk up on this sycamore tree and begin to see. So you have to realize that Zacchaeus was so dedicated that he was willing to climb a tree just so he could see who Jesus was. Jesus' response, Zacchaeus, the fact that he knew his name was an incredible understanding because he knew who he was talking to. Everybody in the community would know Zacchaeus as the chief tax collector, as the guy that did the most. He called him by name and he said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. I want you to think with me for just a second. If Jesus walked into this room today and he said, hey, I'm coming to your house today, how many of you would go, oh, I'm going to need a couple hours? Didn't fold the laundry, didn't make the bed. Jesus, it was all I could do just to get to church today. I don't have any food. Jesus, do you like Captain Crunch? Peanut butter, is that good? Can we, can we hold on to something in the midst? And we would look and go, man, Jesus, you got to give me a few minutes. And Zacchaeus' response was, he received him joyfully. Now, I got to think that Zacchaeus may not have been married because his first question should have been, can I talk to my wife first? But he put everything aside. Almost as if he was finally seen by Christ and he was willing to do anything, go anywhere, receive Jesus just to sit and learn from him. I want you to understand, this is how the world around us is living. I think that there's more people that are desiring to know who Jesus Christ is than what we even give credit to. Jesus walks into his house and understand that in the midst of this, we don't really know what the teaching was, but the thing that Zacchaeus probably loved the most was what we love the most, which is probably his money. The first response to know that his heart had truly changed was this. I will give half of everything that I own to the poor. I want to make sure everybody around me knows that there's a legitimate change in my heart. I want to take care of other people. For the first time, Zacchaeus transitioned from everything being about him to wanting to care for others. Then he says, I will make things right by fourfold of anybody that I took advantage of. It's interesting, I was reading a couple of different commentaries this past week on this passage of scripture. And one of them gave kind of an interesting take that maybe Zacchaeus was an honorable tax collector, if there is such a thing. Because he was saying, I will restore fourfold if I've done anything wrong to anybody that's around me. It's interesting because in just about every passage of scripture that this is shared, you see the crowd's reaction. The crowd's reaction is probably similar to most of us 
can't believe Jesus is going into Zacchaeus' house. Why is he going there? The known sinner, the known tax collector. And I love that in this passage of scripture, the crowd says he was a known sinner. I think in the midst of this, I think about this if Jeff Hubbard was in the context. And if I was sitting there, I would probably look at the person that says, hey, can you believe he's going into a known sinner? And I think I would stop and go, hey, bro, you're a sinner too. Just like me. The reality is, for some reason, the longer we know Christ, the longer we begin to live for Christ, we forget all that Christ has done in our hearts and lives. They were witnessing the heart of Jesus. Jesus makes this statement to kind of close out this package of Scripture, where he says, I came to seek and to save the lost. Realize this isn't the first time that he mentioned this, the first time that he said this. He said, I came for the sick, not the well. Listen, this is a continued theme, and I want you to capture this this morning, that this same mission that God has given, the same mission that Jesus Christ has given is our mission today. For some reason, when that statement is made, the majority of the church begin to look for reasons why they can't. No, no, no. Jesus was really good at this. He could have done this and, you know, he was Jesus, so we put him on this pedestal. But listen, he has given this exact same mission to us as a church. And I ask you to consider Maybe the person that led you to Christ understood this mission. And you need to understand this mission in the exact same way. So let me challenge you with a few things this morning that will encourage your hearts. Let me give you kind of the action plan that we can get from this passage of Scripture of how Jesus approached this. So the first thing and the lesson from this encounter is this. You need to see people. Listen, Jesus knew Zacchaeus by name. This is a big deal. Zacchaeus probably felt insignificant and and knew that his name was always mentioned in a negative connotation. Jesus, in the midst of this, stops and he says, Zacchaeus. I want you to think with me this morning because every one of you in here has had this exact same moment where God has called you. Jeff, it's time for you to come to know me. It's interesting that since COVID, our approach to other people is this. We have blinders on. We don't want to see people. Now listen, I'm a southerner by nature and I wave at everybody. I talk to everybody. I don't care if you don't want to talk to me. I'll walk up. I'll have a conversation with just about anybody. Listen, some of you are like, yeah, I've seen you. I don't want you to talk to me, bro. I don't care. There's times when my wife have been and I have been in an elevator And I'll carry on a conversation with the people that are there. They'll get off on their floor and my wife will look at me and go, they didn't want to talk to you. But they did. 
for some reason, the church doesn't want to look for people that need Jesus anymore. For some reason, we're happy seeing each other and being encouraged by each other and lifting up our voices together. But the reality is that we should genuinely see the lost. Listen, don't make judgments of people. We make judgments on people because they are tall, pretty, have red or blonde hair, bald, ugly, fat, rich, or poor. I feel like I'm half of those. It's a sad reality that the church should be the least judgmental people in the world. But do you know what our label is? The most judgmental place that you could ever attend. The reason that I have and the reason that I give for that is that we've forgotten that Jesus saved us. He rescued us. Sad reality is that we assign value to a person based on how they look. Jesus really saw people for who they were. He recognized that Zacchaeus, while he's out on this limb, needed to know him. I think about this with the woman at the well. If you looked at this passage of scripture, it's the most intriguing thing because the, the, the Samaritan woman looks at Jesus and says, you're not even supposed to talk to me. You're a Jew. Jews don't intermix with the Samaritans. I promise you, after the conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman, her life was completely changed over a cup of water. I asked this, you this morning, do you see people? Do you identify who they are? Do you begin to care about who they are? For you to reach people, you need to know who they are. Listen, it's difficult to share your faith with complete strangers. It's much easier to share your faith with somebody that you know. So here's God's desire. Numbers chapter 6, this portion of scripture is given as Aaron's blessing. And the blessing that he wants to share with God's people is this. That the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Listen, the reality is that our facial expression should be joyful. We have been with Christ. We know who Christ is. I tell you this morning, and a lot of you have commented, apparently I got some sun yesterday. Listen, I don't have hair. I don't wear hats because they're like suction cups on my head. So like all of these are bald people's struggles. But listen, the same way that you have recognized the sun that I've gotten on my face, the world around you recognizes whether or not you've been with Christ. They see it. And if you're grumpy and mad and frustrated all the time, they don't know that you know Christ. See people. See people. Quit looking away. Listen, one of my daughters, when she was little, she stared. Anybody have a starer as a kid? Man, so awkward sometimes. You'll be sitting there and you'll look back and your kid's just going. You're like, 
I'm sorry, she's special, I don't know. <laughs> the world needs to see us stare a little bit. To genuinely look at them. To the point where they go, can I help you? Yeah, I want to tell you about Jesus. And I think there are so many people that are in this community that are just waiting on somebody to see their lostness. You have the answers to share with them. You know who this Jesus is. Second, recognize spiritual curiosity. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He was not a guy who needed anything. He was a very successful, he was the chief tax collector. And I get this question a lot of times, Jeff, how do you know that God exists or how do you know that on foreign fields where no missionary has ever been and no name of mention of Jesus Christ has ever been done? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 actually answers this question for us. Do you realize that God, he has put eternity into man's heart? Do you know that what one what everybody has in common? Everybody wonders what happens after I die. The other question is there's got to be something more than just this. Every person is considering where they will spend eternity. Listen, based on John chapter 14 and Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, and all of these other continued themes throughout Scripture, you know the answer to that question. Why will we not share it with the people that need to know? I'm convinced that this world is curious about the truth of Jesus. This world has a lot of questions that aren't being answered by the church. They're actually being answered by people that are against the church, answering on who Jesus Christ is. Can I tell you? We know Jesus greater than them. But yet we remain silent. The world around us has told us Christians are to be silent. You know what's crazy? It worked. The world may not receive it well. They need to hear the truth about Jesus. And not from someone who doesn't know him. Look, I, I've often thought that maybe God could have made this just a little bit easier on us. Wouldn't it be nice if every person that didn't know Christ walked around with a big neon sign hanging around their neck that says, hey, I need Jesus, come tell me about him. I think the reality is that we as Christians maybe not give them a sign that says that, but that we begin to look for those signs, look for those opportunities where we can share our faith. It's interesting that if a Christian gets taught, get, 
gets caught talking about Jesus, immediately they're the ones that shut down the conversation. Hey, we can't talk about this at, at, at work. Listen, can I just be honest with you? If you get fired from your work for sharing Christ, I promise you God's going to take care of you. He's bigger than that. Listen, if you're concerned about how somebody's going to react, make sure you're approaching it with all the tact that you possibly could have. Third thing is this. Pursue people. It's interesting that Jesus probably could have passed by Zacchaeus very easily. And the conversation within the disciples probably could have been, finally, Jesus leaves the tax collector in the tree all by himself trying to figure out who we are. Most people would have passed him by. Jesus identified his need. Listen, lifestyle evangelism is a great thing. It's good to live out your faith, and it's good to truly live out your relationship with Christ. But listen, I tell you this, you have to use your words also. Living for Christ doesn't just automatically automatically appeal to everybody where they look at you and go, hey, I need to know how you're living. Look for opportunities. Be strategic. One of the things that took place when we first moved out here to Pooler and started this church, I went to the mayor and I went to city council and the city manager and I, I said, hey, listen, we are a church that wants to be involved with this community. If anything comes up, please call me. We'll drop everything that we're doing to serve this community. It was shortly after that, I got a phone call from our city manager that said, hey, I need you to go to a house with me. This individual has lost his son pretty tragically. But he prefaced it this way. He said, Jeff, these are are all drag racers. These are all people, he said, I promise you there's going to be more alcohol there than what you're probably comfortable with. And I said, what time are you going to pick me up? I walked under a garage probably about 50 to 70 people just sitting there I began to share who Christ is the guy's name was Ronnie Lewis some of you may know him he's since passed away I think there could have been so many reasons for me to not go there man I was an early preacher man I didn't want them to and and I didn't want people to judge me. I was a, a kind of new to the area, so these people don't know me. And listen, the reality is me sitting around a bunch of people that know a lot about engines, I don't know the difference between a six and an eight cylinder. When they start talking cars, I'm like, the only thing I had to offer them was Christ. So I did his son's funeral and show the love of Christ. We have to begin to look for opportunities. It's funny how the Lord works. The guy in our first service, 
I've only met him a couple of times. He's come to our church a couple of times. He walks up to me afterwards and he goes, you don't understand. I was sitting there when you came. And you don't think that was 10 years ago. You don't think God uses those opportunities for us to walk in. Listen, you have to pursue people. They may get as close as a tree, but you're going to have to go up on that tree with them. Next one is this. Go out on a limb for your one. This may be completely different against your personality, but I would love for the story on Zacchaeus to sound something like this. Zacchaeus was kind of curious about who this Jesus was, and one of his friends was so adamant that he drug him so far so that he would come up the tree, and Zacchaeus was so short that he was having a difficult time getting up on the sycamore tree, so his friend picked him up and took him on the sycamore tree, and he placed him there, and he said, look, there's Jesus. I tell you this morning, that's who we should be as a church rescuing people, taking them by the hand, taking them to the place, knowing who Jesus Christ is. You know the worst thing that can happen from you climbing a tree? You could fall and break a bone. Got to be honest with you. The risk to seek some come to know Christ is far greater than any broken bone. Go out on a limb for your one. Let me challenge you. Over the past couple of weeks, I've told you that your life and your community can completely change if you'll share the gospel with them. I want to encourage you, don't stop at one. You say, no, 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 Jeff, you asked for one, I'm going to do one. (laughs) Imagine if Jesus just called one disciple. Imagine if Jesus just healed one person. Imagine if Jesus only taught one person. Listen, the reason why we're calling this who's your one is this is a starting point for us. There should be 5, 10, 15, 20 later on that you're continually reaching. This is a lifestyle change. We should be people that genuinely desire to be gospel sharers at every place that we go. So let me close with this. It's time to get on on the limb as a Christian and watch what God does. I'm going to close out this series and close out this sermon the same way that we've closed out the last three. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward and move this box a little bit to the front. I'm going to ask you, because we've challenged you greatly over these past four weeks, and some of you have been completely committed to making sure that you know who this one is. Listen, if this is your first time, this is something that we've kind of dedicated as a church that each one of us are going to pray and seek that one person would come to know Christ. So a lot of you have written on this white ping pong ball, that person that you want to see come to know Christ. 
And as you can see over the past couple of weeks, one of the things that's been taking place is that green ping pong balls, those are gospel conversations that you have shared your faith with others. I promise you, in the days to come, as you begin to see these green ping pong balls go forward, you'll begin to see a few pink ones, which is salvations. And then eventually baptisms to follow. And I tell you this, a year ago, it was of greatest concern that we would just begin to share our faith with others. Look, you as a church have began to take this to mission. You've prayed about these things and you've begun to be dedicated about sharing your faith with somebody else. Listen, over the next year, I promise you, God is going to move in this community. It's the same mission that he had. I've come to seek and to save the lost. You are on that same mission that he's called you for. It's interesting, me and my youngest were traveling back yesterday. And she put a movie on uh, about Harriet Tubman. I love this movie. And the fact that she escaped from slavery was this incredible thing that she accomplished. The interesting thing about Harriet Tubman was this. She couldn't stop going back and rescuing those that were in captivity. The people that were leading the Underground Railroad were continually telling her, hey, Harriet, you got to stop. It's getting way too dangerous for you. They're calling you Moses because you freed so many people. She kept telling him, I can't, I can't stop. I can't stop going. I can't stop my, my brothers and my sisters, this lady, this man, my mother and my father. My prayer for us as a church is that same burning desire. And listen, leading people out of slavery is a beautiful thing. Leading them from freedom of their sin and out of the captivity of the life and giving them eternity with Christ is even greater. So I beg you, to have a burning desire to seek and to save the lost. Dear Father, I come to you humbled, knowing that you are a good and gracious God. Father, with a heavy burden for everybody in Pooler, everybody in Bloomingdale, everybody in South Effingham, everybody in Falkville, everybody in this community that does not know you as their Christ. Lord, you have rescued me, completely changed my life, changed me into a man of God. 
Father, I know that there's a world seeking to fill, just seeking to find something that would bring them hope. Lord, we as the church have that answer. You tell us that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through you. Father, create in us a burning desire to see people around us come to know you. Father, I pray for every excuse that has entered into somebody's head this morning. Lord, remove it. Let them understand that's not from God. That's Satan's temptation to keep you from doing what God's called you to do. Father, burn in our hearts a passion to see people come to know you. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Everybody would stand as we close out this service. Listen, if you're here and you haven't committed to one person that you wanted to see come to know Christ, I would ask you to come forward and just write on that ping pong ball who that one person is that you want to see come to know Christ. Listen, if you're here this morning, and I love that I've heard so many different little testimonies of people that have began to share Christ with that coworker, with that family member, with that person that needs to know Christ. I would ask you just to come forward and write on this green ping pong ball the name of the person that you shared a gospel conversation with. Listen, if you're here and you don't know Christ, and I'd love to take some time with you, I'm gonna ask my elders to come forward and just sit up here so that if you don't know Christ, you can come talk to one of these guys and I promise you they will help you come to know Christ. Maybe you're here and you've been a follower of Christ and you've placed your faith and trust in Christ and it's time to take that first step of obedience, which is baptism. So whatever it is that's working in your heart this morning, respond to him this morning.